You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Vault 8 succeeds Vault 7 among WikiLeaks dumps, but it's still all CIA all the time from Mr. Assange and company. GCHQ expresses concern about Kaspersky antivirus products. Media reports suggest that NSA is in the middle of a big mole hunt. Equifax begins to tally up the costs of its breach. The U.S. intelligence community reiterates its conclusion that dog bites man, or rather that Russia wants to work mischief with the United States. ISIS defaces school websites. Some notes on South Korea's domestic influence investigations. And a look back at the Sinet showcase. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, November 13th, 2017. Last week's WikiLeaks dump from Vault 8 are drawing attention. They are the successor to the Vault 7 leaks on which WikiLeaks has dined out for much of 2017. Vault 8 is, like Vault 7, concerned with alleged CIA cyber operations, but with a difference. The contents of Vault 7 were ancillary materials like manuals and presentations that purported to deal with offensive cyber operations, implants, and so on. Vault 8 includes the source code associated with the alleged operations. This represents an escalation of sorts because leaked code can of course be repurposed, as the exploits released by the shadow brokers were. The Hive code, as it's called, isn't thought to pose an immediate threat to most internet users, It's thought to be most likely useful as a way of staging infrastructure that could be used in further attacks. Of greatest interest is the appearance among the leaks of material that suggests the CIA allegedly used a false flag operation to disguise its own activities as operations conducted by Kaspersky Lab. This hasn't served to remove the cloud of suspicion under which Kaspersky finds itself, certainly not in the U.S., where there's no sign at all that the government is retreating from its determination to remove the Moscow-based company's security software from its systems. And in the U.K., GCHQ adds its voice to the other Kaspersky skeptics. The intelligence agency over the weekend deplored Barclay Bank's deployment of Kaspersky antivirus to help secure its customers. Their reasons are essentially the same as those advanced by the U.S. Departments of Defense and Homeland Security. Kaspersky's intrusive inspection of files can reveal too much about the systems it's installed to protect. Barclay says it's decided to remove the Kaspersky offering from its services for commercial reasons and that it's neither discussed the matter with nor been influenced by GCHQ. 
NSA and its partners in counterintelligence continue to struggle through its investigation of leaks that wound up in the shadow broker's hands. Three people have been taken up by the investigation, two of whom, Hal Martin and Reality Winner, are awaiting trial. The third individual was the first one fingered back in 2015 and shortly before the shadow brokers began their damaging publication of alleged NSA documents. That person has yet to be publicly identified, but the New York Times at least regards NSA as being in the throes of a full-blown mole hunt. Those interested in the costs a breach can exact from a company may wish to take a look at what Equifax reported to its investors late last week. Third-quarter expenses related to the breach the Credit Bureau sustained included $55.5 million in product costs, $17.1 million incident response and other professional fees, and $14.9 million in customer support. The company's managers also reported that they expect additional costs to reach somewhere between $56 and $110 million in the coming months. These don't include estimates of losses from class action lawsuits, many of which are pending in several U.S. states. The U.S. intelligence community reiterates its conclusion, despite denials by President Putin, that Russian agencies indeed sought to influence U.S. elections. That influence seems largely to have been designed to reduce trust in American institutions. ISIS shows itself capable of defacing poorly defended school websites with slogans, but little more. About 800 schools in the U.S., all of whose sites were operated by the school desk service, were affected. The defacement included audio in the Arabic language, the displayed text, I love Islamic State, and, oddly, pictures of the late Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein. The skids behind the hack are thought to be a bunch of ISIS-sympathizing hacktivists known as Team System DZ. They've been on security researchers' radar since they cut their teeth on defacing poorly protected websites with pro-Palestinian messages in 2013. This activity, it's worth noting, predates the formation of ISIS. The Cryptosphere notes that Team System DZ is basically a one-trick pony. They hit vulnerable WordPress sites. Such puerile vandalism has had little evident effect in the past, but it has come to define the style of jihadist hacking. Atlanta-based School Desk has turned its servers over to the FBI for inspection and has retained the assistance of security firms in responding to the incident. A more serious campaign of inspiration appears to be in progress from ISIS rival Al-Qaeda, where Hamza bin Laden takes up his late father Osama's cause, posting audio files that urge the Ummah's faithful to rebel against tyrants. Hamza's rhetoric tends toward unlikely insistence. He credits his father, for example, with bringing down the Soviet Union, but implausible inspiration has found its audience before. Last week's Sinet Showcase in Washington, D.C. brought together its customary array of experts from government and industry. It also placed the Sinet 16 on display, 16 companies selected for their success not only at innovation, but at successfully bringing that innovation to market. Those attending the conference heard a great deal about resilience, by consensus a possible goal in a way that complete security is not, the central role artificial intelligence plays in cyber R&D, identity management, policy enforcement, and browser isolation, and the dangers of regulatory overreach. They also received some realistic perspective on threat intelligence and a warning against taking too seriously the would-be cyber privateers out there, those eager to hack back and board the enemy in their own digital smoke. 
We have extended coverage of the Cynet showcase on our website, thecyberwire.com. South Korean investigation of alleged political meddling by intelligence services takes a sharper turn as a former defense minister is arrested on charges related to domestic cyber operations alleged to have been undertaken by that country's intelligence services. And finally, thanks to Top 10 VPN's Privacy Central, which is named the CyberWire, one of the top 50 best InfoSec blogs. Right back at you. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intel team. Rick, welcome back. Um, Today, uh, you wanted to take aim at a couple of uh, Network Defender best practices, uh, vendor in-depth and best of breed. Uh, Why don't we start off by talking about what are these things? Yeah, these things have been around since I started doing this back in the early 90s, right? And they kind of emerged as best practice for all network defenders. And let me just explain what they are. Vendor in depth is the best practice of we would never choose a single vendor to do all of our security technology mm. because we don't trust those guys. You know, So if one failed, uh, I would still have my other vendors that were doing other things. So we would always, our philosophy was to buy as many vendors as we possibly could. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Exactly. And it made sense back in the 90s, right? Uh, Back then, we didn't have that many tools, right? We only had three or four tools. But today, okay, we have, you know, even small organizations have 20 security tools deployed. Um, Medium-sized have around 60. 
um, big organizations like big banks, they have over 150. And I was talking to a big bank CISO uh, a couple months ago. He claimed to have 300 security tools deployed in his network. Right. And <laughs> wow. I know in his it's big. Not, it's not a contest, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and his big <laughs> task of the year was to reduce that by half just to get it down to 150. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. And we call these things point products for right. a reason because they don't talk to each other. Every new tool that you bring on the network, you have to manage yourself, okay? And, and it is my experience that you pay for a point product four times. You know, you got to buy the box. You got to buy someone who can maintain it, you know, keep the blinky lights going. Um, you got to have someone who can understand the data coming off the box. And then you need a team of people back in the SOC uh, who can put all the data from all the tools that you have into some coherent threat picture. And that gets really expensive really fast with the more tools you have. So. Okay. That's vendor in depth. Uh, best of breed is this uh, idea that popped up in the early days that said, you know, we're, when we buy a single vendor, uh, we're going to find the very best one. And the way that most people do this is they bring all the vendor tools in for whatever capability you are trying to find, uh, you know, buy this year. Let's say you're buying a new intrusion detection system. So you're going to bring all the vendors' intrusion detection systems into your lab, hit them over the head with a hammer for six months to find the best thing. And it's usually based on performance and whatever the latest shiny object is in the security community. All right. And then if you pick a tool that uh, and replace the vendor that you currently have, you're going to spend the next six months to a year forklifting the old technology out of your network and forklifting the new technology in all to get to almost exactly the same spot you were when you started the project two years ago, right? This this does not improve the situation, and it doesn't help you manage that vendor in depth problem we were just talking about, okay? It's just churn, okay? It makes us look like we're busy, but we're really not getting any better. Hmm. All right, well, I'm making the case right now that we should jettison those two best practices, okay? Vendor in depth and best of breed, and seek a new best practice, and here's the one I think we should pursue. Seek vendors who integrate. You need to find find a partner, a security a vendor that you like that is already integrated with the tools you already have deployed. Okay, therefore you don't have to do the work when you actually put them in place. You're going to have to decide to trust a vendor. Okay, that they're going to keep up with the latest technology. And so choose wisely, but choose ones that already integrate with what you have in place. Uh, I think that's the secret to success as we go forward. So you're saying uh, find yourself a, a platform that can kind of uh, reach out across the various products and and have them talk to each other. Yeah, that, and that's the key. And this is really hard for people like me, all right, because we've been trained for 25 years that that's a bad idea, right? But I'm telling you, I can make the case that a platform that does most of the work for you and integrates with the tools that it doesn't do, and it does all that automatically, okay, that's going to be way more secure than you trying to manage, you know, 300 tools in your network. But what about the notion of redundancy? I mean, everybody wants to have a backup plan. How does that fit into this notion? I think uh, I, I don't think we can afford backup plans. If you have 60 tools in your network right, that are all doing specific things, are you going to buy another 60 tools to have backups for all those? Hmm. I just don't think it's possible to do that anymore. I think the key for securing our enterprise in order for us to prevent material impact to our organization is to make sure that whatever we deploy is almost automatically running. Right. That in in order to do that, it has to integrate uh, seamlessly with other, with all the tools that are in your environment. All right, that's an interesting point of view, Rick. Uh, I have to wrap my head around that one. But as always, yeah, I'm uh, the only one. <laughs> <laughs> well, th thanks for sharing it. We'll talk again soon. 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.